I'm Nalaya Chakana, and you're listening to the Dare to Love podcast. The Dare to Love podcast is the place where we get naked and have a real conversation. So good evening. Welcome. I am really excited to be uh, here with you tonight, Nalaya, because we've known each other for many years. I don't remember how many. Uh, we met in Peru on our beautiful journeys of remembering <laughs> and I get to do some work with you also and experience you know what you do and I guess you know we became friends and get to know each other better we've done different interviews together and um, yeah I've been wanting to bring you back uh, to discuss uh, relationships connections uh, masculine and feminine energies, Tantra and shamanism. And uh, I think since we last met each other, I'm really excited because we're going to see each other pretty soon again in a, in a few weeks or next week even. Uh, but uh, in uh, the time we met and the time we're meeting now, a lot of has happened in our lives. And so, uh, you know, you became a mother. And uh, I think you were single when I met you at the time and so you went into parenthood and relationships and uh kind of happened the same with me so it, it's really nice to kind of meet uh on this uh on this other side of the journey but first you know i wanted to welcome you and uh yeah just say welcome here in the space back excited to have you here mm, thank you so much <laughs> <laughs> I was, <laughs> you know, you asked me to introduce myself. I was going to give the exact same introduction. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, wow, you know, yeah, since we last saw each other, so much has happened. And I think for everyone, the pandemic has brought such a renewal. And I think many of us have gone through ego deaths and all kinds of struggles to kind of arise from that. And yeah, not only am I excited to meet you here in this space and, and really, you know, weave our wisdom together and share in the way that we know, but yeah, I'm very, very excited to see you in Peru. Uh, yeah, I, I think I'm going to share more about my own personal story, of course, in this uh, episode, because it's so interwoven with everything that I teach about attracting your soulmate. But yeah, right in the beginning of the pandemic, I left Peru, which was my home, my base, my everything, for the love of my life. And since then, I, like you say, I became pregnant, I became a mother, and the initiation into motherhood and, you know, how to create that foundation with not just my husband, but really my life partner, my best friend, my lover, you know, it's, it's, it's incredible, incredibly challenging to the ego to like allow the heart to break open like that. And we are going to look at that as well in this interview to see like, you know, how do we self-sabotage? Because now that I am here, I have gotten so much clear insight that even when we're ready, very often it's not just like, oh, you met your partner and therefore, you know, the happily ever after. It's like, wow, the initiation of the heart is so tremendous that I do believe that we often get in our own way. But anyway, a little bit of a background of who I am for those who don't know me or haven't listened to our previous episode. Uh, my name is Nalaya Chakana. 
I am originally from the Netherlands, but I, I was raised in multiple countries, which is why the way I navigate in life or let's say my cultural inheritance is, is quite mixed. And the moment I could spread my wings, I, I flew off. So the two countries that have been very prominent in my adult life um, have been India, where I lived for five years. And there, of course, spirituality and uh, tantric initiations, uh, but also very much, you know, my own healing that needed to happen at the time uh, regarding my femininity, sexuality. Like it was a journey of healing that allowed me to understand the wisdom connected to uh, let's say the traditional understanding of what Tantra is and how to utilize that power. Um, and then Peru, like I explained before, you know, I was there for a long time, also five years. And it's not just the Andean tradition in which I got initiated, initiated but also very much the um, plant medicine uh, path. And everything that, it, that Peru brought me was basically like how to root um, the spiritual essence of everything that I had learned in India. And so from my creations, I can say like, yeah, I, I do my best to make it as, you know, digestible and like, how can we actually implement it here and not just drift off in, oh, envision, you know, your, <laughs> your future and believe it so much that it happens, but actually like practical, like we're here. So how do we do that here? And what does it mean to step into that resonance that allows you to be in a receptive space? So I hope we get to touch on all these points in this interview. And yeah, thank you for those who are present. And uh, I'm excited to hear your questions. Yeah, bef before we dive into the, the soulmate connection and how we might sabotage it, how we desire it so much to have this depth of connection and somehow when we get deep into connection with someone that's very often when we run away when resistance come up right when stuff come up and uh also i think one of the things we're in touch about is you know there's a very at least for me that's my perspective of that there's a very romanticized idea of relationship mm -hmm. through you know movie and hollywood and some some ideas of what uh, a deep connection look like uh but First, I want to talk just about your definition of Tantra, because very often when I talk about Tantra, and I used to study also with Indian scriptures, the original Tantra, like kind of the old way of Tantra, people often think of just sexuality or some certain practice, right? So I, was, I wanted to just get that here first. So what is your definition and, you know, how does that also maybe weave into more the shamanic perspective, the ancient ways perspective and kind of why bringing them together right here? Mm, yeah. I mean, the depth to Tantra in itself could of course be a whole, <laughs> a whole course. Uh, so let me see how I can summarize it. Um, when I stepped onto the path of Tantra, it was because there was a lot going on in my uterus. So I had a tremendous hormonal imbalance. And what I needed was to connect with the understanding of why certain things were coming out in a physical form, which of course, there's all these layers, especially for a woman, her womb signifies a lot. It's the symbol of fertility. It's the symbol, it's our connection to our ancestry. 
um, but very much our femininity. And so for me, the journey was very much about understanding all these layers of which sexuality is an aspect. And um, so the first master I encountered, um, his teachings actually weren't over-sexualized. It's more that what he taught us was basically how to activate the Kundalini life force energy for the purpose of healing. And so this allowed me in a very pure way to connect with this huge power, right? And I think everyone is aware of the fact that it's powerful, um, but I sometimes do wonder that if we were to immediately from that from that place of curiosity or from that place of needing proper profound healing, immediately launch ourselves in an over-sexualized over environment where, um, you know, there's a lot of exploration with various partners and so on. Uh, not to say that that is wrong. I think there's a beauty and a necessity often for a lot of people to explore in those ways. Um, but I, I have my question whether you in that space would be able to truly encounter the power of what Tantra is about. Because what I have understood is that, so bueno, in, in my case, in the beginning, none of it was really for the purpose of sexuality until I found my partner or partners that I really was in relationship with and could um, use what I had learned in that setting. Um, which, you know, when I reflect that onto how I teach, I often do, even with couples I've worked with in the past, like I do very much emphasize on you do you first, like you work with yourself, with your own sexuality, with your own body and try to approach it in, in a different way than just standard masturbation, right? It's like how to tickle that energy in a way that is almost non-sexual to understand the power of it and to then kind of build up, build up, build up until you reach that point where you are able to maneuver in the extreme intensity of amplifying the sexual life force energy, because ultimately that's where the power resides, right? To just allow it to grow, to expand beyond boundaries of what you've until now explored and so even people who have been initiated on the tantric path or have i don't know how much experience i do believe that this energy is boundless it's infinite and so you know anyone regardless of their experience can go back to the most basic practices and still be able to encounter new experiences so what it requires, like for me, I see my sexual life force energy as, as one of my main teachers be, for that reason. But what it requires is for us to like stay open and stay curious. Now, to kind of go back to your answer, uh, sorry, to your question, um, how would I define it? I would say when you look at the ancient scriptures of Tantra and the root of it, uh, of course, there's a, a huge aspect that is sexual, so I don't want to like, you know, push that away. Um, but the union that comes and the magic that we can achieve in encountering God through lovemaking, I would say the heart needs to be involved, um, which means, you know, that's something you cannot fake. You cannot fake whether you are in love or not. And you cannot fake whether the being in love is mutual or not. It either is or isn't. And so that profound understanding of what you can actually achieve through prayer, through sexual union that is fueled through the heart, 
That's the magic of the alchemy that happens in Tantra between a man and a woman. Or, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that within same-sex couples, it happens as well. I just, I, I cannot give any comment to that because that's not been my experience. Um, but yeah, looking at it from the traditional sense, it's the opposing polarizing energies that come together, that lock, but that through the heart create that awakening. And so therefore... I think the reason you're asking this question is because there's, yeah, there's a lot of over-sexualized interpretation. Like you hear the, the word Tantra and it's immediate, immediately uh, understood like, oh, that must be polyamory or it must be open relationship or it must be sexual exploration. And so I do believe that, you know, there are beautiful teachings that come from these uh, institutions because uh, I am friends with certain teachers from these uh realms <laughs> uh, and, and yeah healing does definitely happen there but in my definition the real magic of encountering god is um yeah it has to be in love <laughs> mm. so we are you know obviously uh understanding here that we're bringing the heart in it and we are bringing what's in the heart what's in front of the heart what's around the heart i guess mm -hmm. and you know, what's I've been coming a lot for many people I encountered and things I read and I guess discussion we had in the past is that very often people get this very strong pull maybe to a partner or to someone. Uh, there is this, you know, initial kind of spark, I would say, and then get into some level of connection, some intimacy, emotional intimacy, physical intimacy, spiritual intimacy. And then some big stuff kind of rise, right? And I want to explore a little bit with you the idea of sometimes, yeah, there is incompatibility, right? We might discover, yeah, this is not the person maybe I want to build my life with for various reasons. But I feel that, especially in the world post-COVID, right? Post, you know, a lot of trauma, people have been isolated, people have gone through a lot of transformation, and we're also in a society that's very individualistic. So very often I hear people that maybe have a very strong sense of self, which is nothing wrong with it, but it's kind of my way or the highway, right? It's very much about this strong, independent person, can be a man or women. And then when something doesn't really fit, it's immediately dismissing the potential of a connection where we know that, in fact, it's being able to resolve that, to work through that, that provides the healing and then the deeper connection. So I would like you to talk a little bit about the shadow of the strong, independent women or men, if you want, maybe because I know you work with both sex clients, but kind of People that really develop a strong sense of self, do a lot of healing, kind of understand their boundary, right? And there's all of healthy things here. But then maybe at some point, there's a shadow there and that become very difficult to connect because we have maybe this shadow. It's like, well, this is the way for me, right? So I'd rather be alone. I'd rather be independent, whatever that means. Because in shamanism, there's really nothing independent. We can't live independent. Uh, mm -hmm. We're always in relations. And how that can come very strongly, right, in the body and maybe in the way we, we behave. And, and what is that shadow? Where is it coming from? And, and how do we kind of perceive it as, okay, this is real? Or 
meaning that, yeah, in, maybe there's not compatibility there. Or no, this is something that's going to show up anyway in the next relationship and in the next relationship until I do heal that. Mm-hmm. It's a question and you have like an hour and a half to answer. I know it's a very long question, but <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> maybe just, the shadow of the strong cons- independent woman, right? I'm just considering right? like where to start. Okay, I'm going to start at the point that you made about shamanism because I think everyone listening to this is like, yeah, we understand we're an interconnected oneness. We understand that when we look at um, tribal culture, ancient civilizations, it was never about me. It was about us. And the way that we journeyed through particular initiations like birth, uh, adolescence, becoming parents, uh, becoming grandparents and death, they were guided they were and it wasn't just one person dies or one person gives birth it's it's something that happens together right mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so we idolize that but we're in a place right now collectively speaking where we can't go back even though that's what a lot of people seem to be talking about like we want to live in community this and that but at the same time We are a modern civilization. And I think that lust of like, we want to live together, move together is because we have seen that um, the emphasis on individualism doesn't work. Um, And yet we've gotten accustomed to it, right? Uh, The person who thrives, the person who's at the top of whatever institution or they're considered successful. So even when you look at what feminism has done to women, and I am going to specifically talk about women. So, you know, for the male listeners, I think this is just going to be interesting information for you to receive as a man, (laughs) because I bet whatever man is interested in listening to this has probably, you know, fallen for these beautiful, independent, strong women who are very attractive for these attributes But it's those attributes that actually very often cause for relationships to not work out. And I think because I was very much, um, you know, that archetype myself and I had to go through a freaking ego crushing experience myself to understand how I had been, yeah, protecting a really beautiful, but also very sensitive aspect of my own femininity by having you know certain things in place so I'll I'll get into that but it's interesting because you know just looking at independence it's like feminism has taught us and there's reasons for feminism so I'm not saying feminism is per se bad because it allowed women to have the same rights women to be able to study women to be sexually liberated women to be able to choose and go for whatever it is that they want. But I do believe like, okay, we've, we've kind of reached the end of that. And somehow the understanding of what it means to be free, strong, and independent has leaked into these newer generations or even our generations um, of which even the women who wouldn't necessarily call themselves feminists carry some of that in them. And When a woman says, oh, yeah, I have a successful business or, oh, yeah, I'm a teacher in this or I'm an expert in that. It's like we respect that. And that respect adds to a particular identity. It adds to a construct of why it is that a particular woman would feel confident. 
And it's very contradictory because we need confidence to be able to attract a man that also carries that confidence, right? Because we don't want to be in, in anything other than an interdependent relationship. But what I've seen, and maybe I can just speak for myself because I think my story is a reflection of what many women go through. In my own experience, I've seen that I was stuck in certain patterns and the patterns would repeat, repeat themselves. So I would often complain, for example, that the man wouldn't support me in the way that I wanted to be supported. I ended up supporting them way more to the point where I would feel exhausted, exhausted of needing to be the one to make the decisions. And we're talking about a million little things, right? But if these a million little things keep happening constantly within a relational dynamic, it becomes exhausting. Why does it become exhausting? Because they're from, and, and I call this the, the primal self, but you can also connect it to the, the base understanding, the foundation of what Tantra is based on. But for me, Tantra is, 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 is almost like a, a spiritual expression of what we're talking about from a primal perspective of what a man and a woman is. And when you look at these um, basic innate aspects of a man of, and a woman, it's, it's all based on hormones, right? Like testosterone driven and how that, you know, influences the brain development and how the brain operates versus estrogen driven. And uh, yeah, you know, I, I have to go into these black and white terms, even if a woman by nature is more masculine, like me, for example, like, yes, I, I am more masculine in certain ways. Like I've built several businesses. I'm good at taking the lead. Um, I have clarity overview. I'm, I'm able to create whatever it is that I've created, but that doesn't mean that those attributes necessarily cannot exist in my life. Of course they can. But if I pull those into my relationships, it is going to mess up the polarizing dynamic, which is what Tantra is all about, right? It's like, how can you amplify in the energy that will complement the other person's, your partner's energy to the point where you start creating a greater power between you? And so there's two things I want to touch upon. Uh, first, how women get in their own way. And second, how do we slip back into the understanding of how to create that unity because the independence even though there's the conceptual understanding like we want to merge it is something very deep that is happening collective it's what we see on tv it's what we see around us it's how we judge like i said before why someone is respected or not um, that impacts our belief system and our perception of reality. And the fact that I was able to, you know, maneuver through life in a very free way. I traveled the world. I did whatever I wanted to do, basically, you know, and it doesn't mean that my life wasn't hard. I definitely had processes that I needed to go through that were extremely hard. But what was easier for me at the time was to go through those difficulties alone, to process it alone. And I would say that that is the first indication of like, there's a huge barrier around the heart. There's a huge barrier um, that is protecting the feminine. So what you see a lot in women is, you know, all of these processes that have to happen regarding the masculine because of the history of feminism. It's like, oh, I have to 
I don't know, reestablish a new relationship with the masculine outside of myself. So I'm going to do that with the masculine within myself. I went through those journeys myself, but what I actually see is that the shadow that is behind, that is hiding behind those kinds of processes or narratives that we talk about, that we convince ourselves of, not just us women, but also amongst women, because uh, there's a million reasons we can come up with of why that is needed. But what I see is that it's not actually a fear to let a man in. It's a fear of the inner feminine to come out because it's a whole different type of power we're talking about. And again, I find it very difficult to use words because, you know, I can use strong, I can use vulnerability, but anyone who's listening has somewhat of an understanding or an experience of what that means. But with any of these words like trust or love or openness or vulnerability, same, same as sexual energy, it's boundless. The, the layers are infinite. And so the idea is to never get stuck, right? So when a shadow comes out, like, okay, I have to admit that I didn't feel supported in my past relationships because I was in this position where I wanted to take the lead, um, even though I hated being in that position, right? Like there was something in me that manifested those kinds of relationships, even though these men were often in a position of being a teacher. I mean, I've, I've, I've dated a tantric master. I've dated a, a medicine man, a psychologist, a sexologist. Like there was something in me that really was looking for, I don't know how to put it, my equal, um, someone who I could perhaps teach with or compliment, you know, the, the wisdom that we carried, but even in those scenarios, so it's like, okay, from the outside, I was looking for something often they were even older. And yet I would still end up in the position of being the one who needs to make all the decisions. And women who go through these kind of experiences often step out of relationships like that saying, oh, you know, this person is not in integrity, not the way that I thought he was, or, oh, he's not as, um, you know, capable as what I actually need, or he's not masculine enough. Um, and to some extent, that can be true. But I think that, you know, very often that again can become a narrative for not wanting to acknowledge that the shadow is actually within the feminine of the woman because of the resistance of fusing and, 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 you know, melting into that oneness of what it requires to be in a strong polarizing relationship with, uh, with a man. And in order for that to happen, especially with women who feel so comfortable, comfortable in a particular position that adds to that identity and therefore adds to ways that make her feel confident. It's like the question really becomes like, who are you when you're stripped from all of that? And from that place, how are you able to allow a particular vulnerability that isn't controlled? Um, I hope I'm, I'm making sense. I think I need to add a little bit more juice to the story and perhaps tell a little bit about my own story to to step away from the conceptual understanding of this, because I think a lot of people are already aware of what I'm saying. So for me, I was stuck in these patterns, right? Um, I was willing to take a lot of responsibility. I was willing to see my shadows for what they were. 
Um, and I do believe that a lot of pre-work is essential to have the awareness of like, I'm the one creating my reality. Therefore, I'm the one making sure I'm in a particular position in the relationship, even though I know that that is exactly what is harming the relationship, right? So that awareness and the inner work and the pre-work is essential, I would say. Um, and then life decides when you are ready. And for me, the deeper layers of encountering my inner feminine happened when, when I moved to Thailand for the love of my life. So that in itself was very symbolic for me because, I mean, this was the pandemic, right? Borders were closed. We had to make a really strong decision, like who gives up their home for each other, right? So I ended up being that person to leave everything behind. And in Peru, I had my identity set. I was a particular person in that community, a person who people came to for advice, for healing, for session, for retreats, for whatever. And uh, I took myself out of that. And I launched myself in a world where nobody knew who I was. There was no medicine community. There was not much of a spiritual community either. Um, I was falling in love. So, I mean, I mean, I felt in my bones, like I knew this was the father of my children. Like I, and it was clear for him. And, you know, for, right from the start of our relationship, we, we began talking about marriage and children. So the fact that we got pregnant very quickly was was just a portrayal of like, we're ready for this. No, and when you're ready, it's, that's it. But the sacrifice I had to make, only in retrospect can I really understand why it had to be in this way for me. I'm not saying that everyone has to move across the planet <laughs> in order to be challenged in this way, but I was stripped from everything familiar. I was stripped from everything that added to this well-constructed identity that was the strong independent woman and because I was in a country where I didn't speak the language and I didn't know my way around, I automatically fell into a particular position, which I had prayed for in a thousand ceremonies. Like, please let me just be with a man who can take the lead, who can make decisions, who can, you know, it's like, I think on a primal level, it's what every single woman wants. Like we want the man to be in, the, in their masculine. We want them to take charge. We want them to also stop us sometimes, you know, like women have a tendency to sometimes test the boundaries, test the edges. And if a man that isn't aware of that these tests are happening and just says yes and amen, then gradually she will learn to evolve stronger in her masculine attributes, which then in a natural way will have the man shift into his more feminine attributes. So speaking of my past experiences, um, you know, these great men, these great teachers somehow ended up slipping in that expression of themselves because I wasn't willing to make space for their masculinity. So on a very subtle level, there's often this competition happening, mm -hmm. merely because it's so confronting to the ego, to the heart, um, to become one, even though it's what we crave. So what I've seen in my own relationship is that, you know, I was pushed into this position, which was at the light. Like I could see like, oh, finally, I'm not getting exhausted in a relationship because I'm finally in a position where I've dreamt of being. But the moment I became pregnant, I mean, pregnancy is like the amplified experience of femininity, like in the most divine way, right? Like if a woman is able to let go of her work, let go of responsibilities, let go of all these 
things that get in the way of being able to enter the altered state of consciousness that a woman can experience during pregnancy, which I highly recommend for any woman. <laughs> uh, and I did that by choice because I knew when I wanted to, when I was going to be pregnant, that's what I wanted to experience. Um, but also it was semi not a choice because I lost my capacity to, to, to function for my inner masculine, if that makes sense. So for example, to, to, to be able to do one-on-one -on -one sessions, you need somewhat of clarity in the mind <laughs> to like, you know, navigate what's happening and just that kind of na navigating I, it like completely dissolved in my pregnancy. So it pushed me more and more and more and more into my feminine. And the things I discovered in that time of being pregnant basically allowed for me and my partner to establish a particular foundation. And so my personal experience, okay, was a little bit, you know, let's say extreme. I got pulled out completely from my world, from my comf comf confidence or the attributes in my external that contributed to that particular confidence, which I can now say wasn't true confidence, but it was almost like this mask that allowed me to operate in a certain way that had me feel worthy, I suppose. And yeah, it was confronting to be in a foreign country, no friends, no family during the pandemic, going through this wild initiation of becoming a mother. Um, but at the same time, that extremity of my experience did very much allow me to see all the shadows that were there and it was hard it was really hard for me to witness them to see aspects of myself that I really really disliked but also for the first time had the opportunity because of the love I have with Ruan my partner uh, the love we have for our family the patience he has for me to go through these processes, right? Like the same way I have patience for him. And it's something that I see in you as well, Angel, like the, the processes you've gone through, you know, this past year, it's like, that's love to allow your partner to lose it completely, to fall apart, to fall into depression or whatever it is that we go through in life, right? Like if we are able to journey together and have love be the power that allows us to move through these layers, I mean, for me, I could clearly see, you know, where that protection had been in place that had actually prevented me from being able to tap into the potential that was there in various relationships I've had in the past. And in a way, I could say, like, they were not my soulmate, but maybe, you know, I don't know. And I say it like that because I know that we're living in a, in, in, in a time in which I would say people break up too quickly. Uh, people come up with all kinds of narratives of why it didn't work out. Um, and looking at it from this shell of confidence, which is a shell, um, that confidence is often like, oh, no, I deserve better. Oh, no, I should have seen the signs earlier. Oh, no, I need a real man. But we can pray for that real man, but those real men are there. The only thing that is missing is really the, the allowing of that feminine or even just encountering the, what I call the machista within. So, you know, it's something that I think is very sensitive for me to use those words because of the history of Latin America or feminism or, you know, the, the immense oppression and suppression that women have needed to go through th for hundreds of years. But 
if we continue being the victim of that, continue allowing subtle ways in which the woman operates to, for that to be present without acknowledging that actually we're getting in our own way. For that reason, I, I do want to use words that are a bit edgy because I can speak for myself. The thing that was so hard for me, a woman who from her early 20s was on the path of femininity and womb healing and sexuality, sensuality, women retreats, this and that, and it was all feminine. And then boom, you know, more than a decade later, being confronted by the fact that I don't, I didn't actually value my inner feminine in the same way I was able to value the aspects of my strong inner masculine, like the entrepreneur, the world traveler, the, the one who's able to take the lead, who has all the answers and blah, blah, blah. Like those things are easy to measure, but what is the feminine and how are you loved? Like, how do you love those aspects of yourself if you take all those things away? Because the beginning of my motherhood, I mean, I didn't work for a year, was the understanding of like, okay, I'm no longer an intimacy life coach. I'm no longer a tantrika. I'm no longer some figure in a community. I'm no longer none of it. And I also had a bit of an inner fight with mother, the archetype of the mother. Like, what does that represent? Can I still be sensual and, and beautiful and feminine if I step into that? And it's, I mean, it allowed me to see all these shadows connected to feminism. And I mean, my journey was through motherhood, but I think that everything I'm sharing is super recognizable for people who, uh, for women who have similar complaints of like, where is this masculine man who can freaking allow me to be feminine for once, you know, but it starts here. Yeah. Oh, it's anyway. Long answer. <laughs> no, I love your answer. Yeah, I was really feeling into it because there is kind of this uh, opposition between uh, what it means to be feminine and maybe our femininity or women's have had to evolve in a world where there is an over masculine, very patriarchal, where there has been a lot of oppression, which have required right, a lot of strengthening to. Yeah, wins right, right? To wins uh, the right to of menacing, right? And kind of keep holding that because we're not over in the battle. I mean, in the US, you know, it's like kind of going backwards at the moment. So yeah, I feel, you know, it's almost like, obviously, yes, there is this deep understanding of what you're sharing about what is this real feminine here deep down that wants to soften, right? That wants to open, that wants to feel held. But at the same time, require some level of safety, some level of, yeah, acknowledging what are the defense that I've put in place to feel secure, to somehow protect myself, right? And here we are asking the heart to do the opposite, to drop the protection, to empower itself through a softening where everything we have learned in that society for men and women is that to be powerful, we need to kind of tighten, right? And we need to kind of fight. We need to kind of get ahead. And here you are like saying, yeah, it's fact, this vulnerable power is really the, the true feminine, right? And that's what is needed in this relationship for polarity to happen. And I think the self-sabotage very right, often come from that. At least that, that that's my experience, right? These strong, independent things that... I've always been amazed by what you let go of it 
uh, from Peru because I knew you from that time, right? And your community and yeah, all the people coming to you and it's like, that was obliterated, right? Because you had to live and, and then you go into motherhood. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. It's coming to you with what you're teaching. <laughs> because kind of your prayer, right? For a long time, this world of mm -hmm. Tetra and that. But I'm feeling, you know, people are very scared to let the gods down. And also, how do we truly soften in relationship when we are living in a world that's quite violent, in a context that's quite violent, that's quite intense, and where it's so hard to just let go of the guards, right? And I'm speaking also as a, you know, someone recovering from, from abuse and things like that. It's like, it requires so much internal work for me to even just relax and to close my eyes and to soften, right? To access that feminine side of myself. I'm much more, if I'm in my masculine, okay, I have more control, right? But here we have a let go of control, right? And a surrendering of control. And I feel that's often the, the massive difficulty was like, you know what? I need to earn my money. I need to make my things happen. I need to run my retreat. I need to run my life. I need to do my job. And that seems kind of counter that kind of life or counter that kind of duality and polarity to happen, right? If I don't really soften on that, and I want to talk a little bit about that. How do we soften into that, into the relationship while still maybe being a leader, right? We're still maybe taking care of our life. But how mm -hmm. do we kind of almost shift roles and create that polarity and let go of this illusion that we have built, this personality? Because I can identify to that too, right? It's like, okay, all those things, this is who I am. People call me this and call me that and call me this. But who am I? If I have to let go of that because I need to enter maybe fatherhood or I need to enter something different into my life, who I will be. And it can be, we talked about it right before the interview tonight, quite terrifying, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm sure, and I can't speak for women, but I'm sure there's an aspect of it to let go of all that. It's like, it's a bit terrifying if I have to do that. Mm -hmm. To really allow to receive, right? To soften, to let someone in so deeply because we have to be so vulnerable and that's scary. I mean, it is scary for me and I imagine for women it's even more scary because of the world we're living in. Yeah, so two things I want to respond to just as like a, a note for myself. <laughs> uh, safety and yeah, making a choice. Um and softening. I don't know if you can talk about this this idea of softening, right? In a world yeah, safety choice, such hard time softening. Yeah, yeah. So I I agree, and I'm I'm very happy that you bring this up because it's like it's not like a woman who's running her own business successfully is suddenly going to be like, okay, I want a life partner. That means control all the lead. No, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> because we are we want it all. And we can have it all. Um, but there is that kind of like, okay, where are these attributes of me? Um, where can I express them that is actually benefiting me? Uh, so in a business uh, setting, for example, um, what I saw for myself, where my true healing really began is 
that most of my relationships, my personal relationships, were very similar as what I was experiencing in my work. So, like I said, I was this person in the community that people could come to, but it was exhausting. And what I noticed throughout the years of whenever I entered true crisis, like true crisis, uh, it was hard. It was hard to see which relationships were actually of that mutual support. Uh, who could I rely on in the way that they could rely on me? So I got to a point where I understood like, actually a lot of people consider me good, a good friend because I'm always there for them. But can I really say the same? And again, I could blame them for their inadequacy or blah, blah, blah. But again, that's a point of taking responsibility and to just have that insight, no, of like, who do you select to be your friend? And what do you need to change within your own being to give opportunity for those friends to also change the way that they interact with you? Or unfortunately, sometimes naturally, some friends will fall away for that reason and new people will enter your life. No, And I, I think our relations, we have to see them as one. So if there's anything going on within a family dynamic that you are not okay with, like even how one of your parents treat you, or like I just explained, like I didn't feel supported by my friends at some point in my life. If anything happens like that and you're, you know, praying for your soulmate to come along, I bet those, you know, patterns need to be worked out before you would even be able to attract that kind of healthy partnership because the intimate relationship you have with your partner or your soulmate is a direct reflection of how you step up in all your relations. And so I would say that that is the place where we can practice feeling safe. Because in my case, I convinced myself, it's like all these narratives, right? Like life is full of stories and we can change the inner narrative. So the narrative I had gone by is like, oh, you know, I've traveled the world since I was, I don't know what age. And I'm this multicultural being who has delved into tantra and this and that. And therefore, whenever I'm in a, in a process, I need someone, you know, on this level to be able to help me, which is bullshit. It's like, if the ego is so big that it convince, convinces you that whoever loves you, whether it's a brother or a sister or a parent or your neighbor, isn't adequate to love you through your process, that's a barrier. That's a barrier of allowing yourself to be seen in complete imperfection. Because perfection, you know, again, we're rewarded for it in life, right? It's like if you are able to be the best at something or have a successful business or be successful in the way that you help others, you're praised for it. But if you are able to fall apart, crumble, allow the chaos to come out, allow the most ugly aspects of you to be witnessed and be loved in those moments, it's like I get goosebumps just saying it because that is a power not everyone is capable of expressing. And it is not considered a power. And it's there where the reframing has to happen. And so, of course, you know, nobody's going to step in. <clears throat> Nobody can just step from being completely confident to suddenly be, be able to, to crumble in, in front of their best friends, right? It's, it's, it's something that requires step by step and just reflecting of like, how much do I allow this friend in? 
How much do I share of my process? How much of it is not controlled? Um, yeah, it's hard for me to use these words because often these are things that are hiding in the peripheral or in the mm. shadow where, you know, I in the past also thought I was vulnerable with my friends, but it was in the setting that I would choose. I would invite them in whatever part of the process I was going through. Whereas in partnership, when you're living together and you have a baby and you're going through moments of being overstretched and overwhelmed and overexhausted and I don't know what, it's there where there's simply no space to hold up any wall that things come out in an uncontrollable way in order for them to be witnessed and to allow yourself to be loved through it right and that to me has been the absolute most confronting aspect of being in a relationship it's to actually allow myself to be loved for those parts and to see where I never loved myself before so I constructed this idolization of who I was uh, and therefore, yeah, I mean, control, when control is there, there's no room for trust. And the more we trust, the more we have to let go of that control. So yeah, that safety. I mean, one of the things I started to practice, this was actually the year before Ruan and I got together, was to position myself in the receptive position from a man. So I would listen to male podcasts. I would read books written by men. I would have men teach me, whether it was some sport or something. Like I would force myself to be in that position, but also to pay attention to the details, right? It's like, oh, I'm going through something. I could, you know, knock on the door of this person who I'm comfortable with. Or I could share my absolute vulnerability and insecurity and confusion with this other friend who's a guy, um, you know? And I think that positioning myself in these vulnerable positions receiving from a man was my way of, in a very gentle, very safe manner, kind of practice what is, you know, was flipping the dynamic and, and just kind of playing with the universe in that way because mm -hmm. the universe is all vibration, right? So... Prayer is one thing, but you have to feel it. And if there are steps that you can take to actually practice it, you're emanating a particular frequency and that is reflected back. And therefore, the more comfortable and safe you start feeling in that position, the more of that is naturally going to come your way. And so these are little like tricks that, um, you know, because I think the whole notion of what is a relationship and how can I be in the resonance that will allow me to attract? It's taken very seriously and I think it should, but the playfulness is something that is so essential to life, like to, to laugh at yourself, <laughs> to laugh in the journey towards it and to not see it as a goal to achieve because once you're there, that's really where it all just begins um, but to see like, how can I actually enjoy it? And how can I actually play with the universe and see that I'm a part of the way that things either come together um, and complement each other, same as Tantra, no, it's all polarizing. And how can I be in a resonance that attracts something? Or when am I actually stepping in between and becoming the reason why something is, is not clicking or not coming into my reality? And so in the sense of control, you know, very often when it comes to partnership, I see two things. Either I see people creating somewhat of a tunnel vision 
in the sense of like, my soul partner has to be X, Y, and Z in order for me to be able to feel safe to open up into my feminine. And uh, often, you know, women would make lists, for example, which I'm very against uh, <laughs> because that in itself is like, I'm trying to control who's meant to step into my reality and who's meant to make me happy when actually it's reversed, right? It's like, how do I get to step into uh, something that magnetizes? Like, it's all about magnetism. Um, but also I often see the trap of, I am doing this dieta in the jungle or this inner work or this process so that I am ready for love. Whereas the mystery of love works in the exact opposite way. It comes in the unexpected. It doesn't come because you do the work because that in itself would say there's a lack of worthiness, right? Because if you believe you have to drink a hundred cups of ayahuasca in order to get to a point of, let's say, perfection, like, oh, I've worked through all these processes so that I am ready to be. But it's actually about how can you allow the journey of healing to continue while being witnessed in the imperfection and the chaos and allow all of that to be part of the way that the true healing really happens. And this is something that is very much present in the subliminal, I would say. Like I myself wasn't truly aware of it until I was able to look at it in retrospect and say like, oh yeah, there definitely be moments where, you know, I did certain practices uh, to then supposedly step into a space in time in which it was like, okay, bring it on. I'm ready. But it's when you're able to know exactly what you want and be able to let it all go that it appears but that in itself, again, same as orgasm, you can't fake it. No, like it's you're either in that resonance or you're not. And this is really how I've constructed the dare to love. It's like the whole journey of that course leads up to that point of like knowing what you want and being able to let it go. And it's such a fine, delicate art. <laughs> it's very hard to put to words. Mm. And then one more thing I wanted to say is that the opposite of creating that tunnel vision and trying to control when you meet your soul partner. I have also seen that there are certain narratives and stories that people tell themselves that are there to mask. How do I put this? They're more like the obvious protection or there's almost like a shame present in actually daring to admit that you just want to spend your life with your soulmate. Like I've noticed that, you know, part of why people break up continuously while still longing for a good partner, meaning, you know, they attract people that they can let go of that in itself is a shadow, right? Like I date people who in the end I'm able to let go of, even though it's heartbreaking, it's manageable, but to actually open up, to actually surrender and then have to face with like, what if it like that fragility of the true power of opening up and allowing someone in is freaking scary. So, you know, tying that into the strong independent woman, I've seen a lot of women who similar to me, we, we get successful because we follow our passion and that then becomes super important. Like I used to call my purpose, my golden number one. And um, there's this trap 
the trap of thinking that we're forever going to be young, <laughs> the trap of uh, believing that, oh, you know, I can just do this work until my mid thirties and, and then I'll be ready. So that's another type of masking, which is not the tunnel vision of desperately trying to force, you know, this person to come into your life, but rather kind of consciously avoiding it. And I believe that that avoidance, it happens in a very subtle way, I think happens because there's somewhat of a shame towards or like a rejection of not wanting to feel desperate, which, of course, like, I don't think anyone wants to feel that or be perceived as that. But um, there can also be this shame of like, well, I've had experiences that didn't work out. So if I dare to admit to everyone that I do really want my soul partner and it doesn't work out, then actually I would have failed. So it's easier to not attempt and to not therefore be able to fail than to attempt and fail. And that's where I see a lot of people create all kinds of stories that kind of prevent them like, oh, this is not the time or, oh, you know, this, what I'm doing is actually more important or I'll just, you know, focus on this for a little while longer before I will open my body to create life. And for myself, I've had two very potent uh, medicine experiences that revealed to me this very simple, very fulfilling desire of having my own family and one was with Yopo, uh, which is also an Amazonian medicine. Uh, and the other was with ayahuasca. And th these happened in like spread out over a couple of years. And in both of these moments in time, I was in a complete stress, complete chaos in life, complete, complete confusion. Like there was so much going on, which is why I reached out to the medicine. I mean, this is what medicine is for, right? It's like, ah, I'm going crazy. Please help me out. Give me some direction. And I thought my entire world was falling apart and I needed some kind of guidance. But in both of those ceremonies, the only thing that I got uh, shown was the simple primal desire of creating life with my soulmate. And it is in those moments, especially with the one in, with Yopo, that revealed to me like, wow, I'm taking all of this so seriously. And my purpose is serious, but... If I had to sacrifice it all, I would for love, for, you know, creating life, for being a guide to that child or those children and to understand the deeper, deeper layers of, you know, how to create that balance between freedom and commitment, which is what a healthy polarizing relationship is all about. Like I knew that that was my greatest, deepest desire in my heart. And so from that, from that point, from that place, that's when I started contemplating, like, how do I create a course, which, uh, which I named Dare to Love. But it's interesting because, like, it was my own daring to admit that that was my deepest desire, daring to redirect my path of purpose, which before that had a lot to do with sensuality, sexuality, women's work connecting to it was quite broad and suddenly I specified it and the arrow became crystal clear but I was still single right and it's very interesting because my own healing journey and all the shadows I had to encounter and the blockages I had to move through as well as what I saw 
uh, I was able to assist in all the, the clients I had been able to work with before that point allowed me to, to channel this course, let's say. And I call it channeling because I clearly created a system that works because I taught it. And while I was teaching it, my soulmate appeared and my whole life changed. And now that I'm, you know, finally at a place two and a half years later where I'm like, okay, let's teach it again. I'm able to reflect on the way I was teaching it or the place I was coming from and, 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 and share from an even more humble uh, place where like, wow, this initiation into being with my soulmate, but also, you know, the initiation into motherhood has like revealed aspects of like, how do we get in our own way? So it's, it's very fascinating that certain things were already there in the conceptual form. And I do feel very guided no, by spirit, knowing that I, yeah, I, I had to teach it in order to be in a place where I could actually tap into the magic or the resonance that it requires to be able to attract the soulmate and then kind of upgrade the teachings and be able to present it again. And even now that I'm working on it, I feel like, you know, I've struggled with some of the modules because again, there's another initiation in the teachings that I'm about to present. And I think it will forever continue to be this ongoing, (laughs) you know, initiation for myself because to dare to love, it's like, love is so mysterious. And again, similar to sexual energy, it's infinite. So whatever I understood before, when it comes to like, what does it mean to be open and receptive? What does it mean to trust? What it, what does it mean to be in my feminine so that this man can be in his masculine? It continues to be an evolution, um, you know, until I again meet another blockage and have to work through that. And again, meet another blockage and have to work through that. But anyway, I just wanted to share that aspect of how I've actually created Dare to Love and where I am now with it because... I, yeah, it was a very humbling experience years ago when I created the the course to actually allow myself to admit I'm ready for real love and therefore teach it and journey with people and learn through their reflection. You know what I mean? And I I just want to highlight that because I feel like there's a lot of people who have that desire, but see themselves looping in dating the wrong people or dating another version of the type of person you've already been in a relationship with in the past. And if you're able to see that, it means like, okay, something has to tremendously be shattered, either in aspects you don't want to admit within yourself, or simply the narrative that you have to take responsibility for that is really creating a barrier against you and your desire. Yeah, and you know, between, obviously, you said earlier when you were, like, at the beginning of the discussion, where people break up too early, right? And then, you know, all people, one of the things, you know, that happens often is that people say, well, I keep dating the wrong person, or there is nobody available, right? There's no good men out there, or maybe good women, right? Whatever you you want to seek for. Do you feel there is, like, a certain level of fear of intimacy, that is underlying all the shadows that is kind of underlying. Okay. You know what? Yes. I'm just going to focus on my work because that's the most important. So I'm going to build that community or that career or that job or my travels because there's a sense of control there, right? So you're controlling it. You're giving a direction to it. And then, yeah, when I'm ready, I will, you know, 
call that love. Or like you said, right, oh, I need to heal first X, Y, and D. And when X, Y, and Z is finished, maybe in, you know, in five years and X numbers of ceremonies, then I feel I can focus on someone else or on the we, you know, on the two, not just on me. But if I'm hearing you correctly, you know, and also it's been my affliction when I really look at that is that maybe it's just a fear of intimacy. And then we find whatever excuse it is, either there's nobody out there or nobody's ready or every time I meet someone, then I have to break up because I get a bit too close. So if I break up pretty quickly, you know, I don't have to be too afraid of going deep. And we are avoiding facing probably our biggest pain, our biggest shadow, because I don't think it's a fear of intimacy really with that person. I think it's a fear of intimacy of ourselves, And that's going to be seen, right? If I get really deep and really intimate with you and you get to see me deep, you are going to start seeing some of my monsters that maybe I'm ashamed of or I'm afraid of or I don't yet know how to navigate. And yet, if I maybe stay a bit longer, maybe it's in being loved for those monsters, being loved through those unresolved places that maybe the breakthrough will happen. And I realize that I've met many soulmates. That maybe, you know, the things that I did was just to avoid getting into that place into myself, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really happy you're giving that addition to what I just said because it's, yeah, I, I do really feel like it's that clarity, right? Like admitting that desire. Um, and I would say that's equally present for men and women, even though men, of course, their fertility lasts a lot longer, I would say that in a way, you know, we have somewhat of a similar window because I don't think there's many men out there who want to be 70 and have their first child, no? So in that regard, whether there is a fertility window or not, I do believe like there's a, a particular chapter in life that presents the opportunity. And when you are in that chapter, to have that clarity, I think is essential. The clarity of, I want my soul partner and I want a family or I don't want a family. And I think that either answers are valid, but they have to come through clarity. And I am, I've been wanting to speak a lot about this, but it's been very difficult for me to like, because I write a lot on Instagram because I just like writing and sharing about my experience. But I also like provoking people a little bit. But this particular subject is so sensitive because there's people, you know, who've already overstepped the boundary of their fertility, may have had that wish, didn't accomplish it. And for me, that's something like, yeah, I want to respect that. But in this podcast, <laughs> I want to take the opportunity for those listening that like, yeah, just freaking get clear. And it doesn't matter what your answer is, just get clear and allow that to that clarity to guide and allow that clarity to push you beyond your comfort. Because like I said, no, the pattern I was so comfortable in was the thing I hated being in. Like I didn't want to be the guide. I didn't want to be the one to make decisions in my relationship. And there's a lot more patterns that I can invite into, you know, this conversation. But I think that this is something very common of like, yeah, you know, as women, 
we want a, ma- a man in charge. Uh, we really do. Even the women who probably don't want to admit it or who feel comfortable in like, you know, saying where we're going or what we're doing or what's happening. I mean, in pregnancy, I lost that capacity. But yeah, to come back to what you were just saying. Um, yeah, I think choice, clarity. Um, yeah, but I think, yeah, I mean, that, that fear of intimacy, because we think, ah, it's, fear of we think it's about the other, right? And what's happening mm-hmm. is out there, but really what's happening is that I'm going to start to be facing something that maybe I've never accessed, mm-hmm. right? That's it. Yeah, that, yeah, is, yeah. that is, that is, that is deep inside me. And, you know, clarity and to weave that on top, I think sometimes we think we're very clear about what's happening and we're very clear about what we want, but it's just a story. Because mm. our all identity is built around that. So being clear even about like, okay, I don't want a family or maybe I don't want a life partner. You know, some people just say, you know what, I'm independent and that, and this is who I am. And I'm very sure of that. But very often when I do this work, and I know you do deeper work of that, you know, with clients, when you start unpeeling that story, you realize it's not really that person is like that. It's an identity, a mask something that was built for protection a long time ago and that's going to create suffering if we don't really see that it's a story right if we don't get clear at some point but we might think i mean i think the the worst confusion in our life is that we think we're clear and then we don't know it's when we know we're confused right we know we're freaking confused and we're very clear of that but when we're very clear about something we say no this is who i am and this is what i want but maybe it's BS, right? Maybe it's something I've built over 20 or 30 years in order to avoid feeling the underlying pain or fear or shame. Mm. And that's so hard to potentially see, right? I, I have this uh, shamanic tarot deck. It's the Vision Quest deck. It's highly, uh, highly recommended. There is this one card. I don't actually remember which card, but one of the sentences in the book says, oh, it's the card of security. Um, And it says that the only true security that exists is within insecurity. So it's talking about the mystery of life. And it's exactly what you say. No, it's a paradox of like, if I'm convincing myself that I know exactly who I am, I know exactly what I'm doing and why I'm doing it, what my purpose is and where I'm going, it's not, there's no space for the mystery. And love is the most mystical, paradoxical essence of life. And, and I believe it's why we live. So to avoid it is to avoid an aspect of the magic of life. But if we are open to that mystery and open to stepping into, let's say, discovering what it really means to feel secure within that infinite insecurity because it's like anything can change like this in in any moment someone does something and, and that's what happens in a family right like i am now three people and we're, we're getting ready for our next pregnancy so in a while i'll be four people and it's really how i experience it it's it's like to be in a partnership is one thing especially as women we feel so much we feel we can often feel our partner's thoughts we can feel their feelings but when you're a parent, it's like, wow, there are moments where I really thought I was losing my mind because I felt her and I felt him. And I 
thought myself, but I, it's, it's almost like I came last and I, I didn't even know how to navigate it and separate it and rearrange it or be guided by it. But it really demands, it's an initiation, right? To just be able to expand in that way, to learn how to be open in that way and be able to respond in the moment, which really demands to let go, right? To the mystery, to the insecurity, because the amount of times I have made plans and had to change my plan. And I think anyone who's a mother can agree with me. It's like, oh yeah, of course. <laughs> um, but how to then still enjoy it. I think that that is this insecurity that you're talking about. Like, how can I still feel secure within the insecurity and have so much faith, faith, that something is interrupting my plan because it's not meant to happen in this moment. And, you know, in my journey of motherhood, since the beginning of the year, it's it's the first time. So basically my, my daughter turned one in the beginning of the year. So after a year of motherhood, I finally reached the place of like, okay, I can pour some of my creativity back into my work and my creation. And it's just a window, right? And in this window, I'm preparing for Dare to Love, I'm doing all kinds of detoxes for my body because my body is my body <laughs> before I'm offering it again to, to someone else. And in this window, I'm just striving and taking the opportunity, but then the window is going to close. And I'm so okay with that, right? Like, and that is the weaving that I'm currently in. And I think for many modern women, that's just how it goes, right? Like we kind of want it both, but we can't have it both all at the same time. And we're just navigating it. But I wasn't even anticipating for this moment to arrive and for me to teach Dare to Love again. I was actually needing to go through the process of death, recognizing that it could actually be, I don't know how many years before I would even have the opportunity to teach again, right? Mm -hmm. But somehow we constructed life in a way that is very supportive. Um, but like I said, yeah, we are getting ready for another pregnancy. And for me, that's the moment where it's it's all about that right and it's about allowing myself to be fully immersed in that altered state of consciousness and fully devote myself to you know because how I feel what I eat where I'm at in a conscious space has so much impact on on the life that we create but to come back to what you were saying I 100% agree with you that we sabotage the possibility of love because on some level, like I believe everyone has had multiple lives. And so the fact that we've gone through the initiation of parenthood means that everyone knows it's an ego crushing experience, but same as, as actually being with your life partner, not just anyone, but someone you're willing to face your shadows with, someone you're willing to sacrifice aspects of yourself for, not just for them, but for the union, for the potential of where the love can take you and for the discovery of what it means to, you know, weave together. So that desire, I would say, is innate. Like, yeah, caveman wants cavewoman, period. <laughs> it's very primal. Uh, you know, we can talk about procreation, whether procreation is, is out of the question, you don't want it, whatever, it doesn't matter. These aspects of our primal selves are very much present in the mating dance, whether you want to procreate or not. So the way we come together and what we seek from that is present, regardless of the outcome, right? And then on a spiritual level, we're at a place where 
you know, we, we want to experience what is that magic of Tantra that we spoke about in the beginning of this interview? Um, what is that magic that we can fuel through sexual union, through the deep love and deep connection, as well as the question of how can I balance passion and freedom, my own time and space, which is what I think a lot of us honor, while experiencing the full potential of commitment and the foundation that we get to build together when we are with our partner. And that in itself, even though it's beautiful beyond words, and once we get through the muck and the mud and the difficulty and the challenges and needing to shed layers of shadows, when we get to that place, it is the absolute most rewarding. But I agree 100% with you. On some level of our consciousness, the reason we get stuck in patterns, the reason we self-sabotage is because on some level, you know it's an ego death you know it requires you to be confronted with yourself in ways that are so freaking uncomfortable so freaking uncomfortable i mean you know for me this whole initiation <laughs> this last year uh has been i mean i can definitely say one of the hardest years of my life and i've gone through a lot of processes but it's really been uh, allowing love to this extent just to allow love that has been the absolute most confronting, not to love them, but to be loved. And it's just so freaking impactful. So yeah, I agree with you. We know sacrifice is needed. And I think the whole understanding of sacrifice is misunderstood because you know it's not to give of yourself to the point where you're overgiving and therefore building on resentment that would be like the counter opposite of what sacrifice is actually about um that is lack of boundaries or however you want to interpret it but true sacrifice is to make sacred and i think you are the one who reminded me of that yeah because i was i was in a difficult space after giving birth and i think you and i had a conversation and you reminded me of the roots of this vibration and it changed everything. Like I, I think I went really deep with just the word sacrifice <laughs> for like a really long time, like weeks and weeks on end, just connecting to it, contemplating it. Because as I've mentioned, no, like I let go of everything to be with my partner and then more sacrifice and more sacrifice and more sacrifice. And I, I just like, I couldn't believe how much life was asking of me and I really lost myself. And there's something beautiful in allowing that confusion because it's only through the confusion and the chaos that we can really resurrect or rebirth or re-whatever. Uh, but it's hard. It's confronting. But the element of sacrifice is inevitable. And I think that if we try to prevent ourselves from sacrificing anything for the relationship we're in, that in itself is the reason it won't work out. And not to say like, oh, you have to sacrifice everything, but you have to sacrifice something. And what that is, I think is unique to a partnership, like to the couple that comes together. But we're talking about an alchemy, right? So looking at it from the tantric perspective, it's one energy in itself is powerful. Another energy is powerful. But if one energy resonates in a particular way that amplifies the other power and they then come together, a greater power is come, comes through that, right? But it requires for either energy to adjust in a particular way for that greater power to be able to be birthed through it. I mean, it's how the seed and the the, the, the sperm and the egg come together. And, it, you know, it's, it's, it's 
visual you can visualize it in all kinds of ways that is present in in all of life in the way that the sun makes love to the earth or however you want to visualize it no it's like one cannot stay the same and expect the other to kind of adjust to it because if that is the way things are done for sure it's not going to work out and so that element of sacrifice is super confronting um because there's always 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 going to be an element of sacrifice from the ego perspective from the identity perspective and i never knew my ego was as big as it used to be i had no idea <laughs> oh you should have asked me until until i got crushed <laughs> you know i was this generous person being there for others not not knowing that that was no but it, i love the the discussion you bring on sacrifice you know in ancient in in shamanic traditions the bigger the sacrifice so the bigger what we give is the bigger what we can receive right but we live in a world where we just take we take first right and then maybe we pay and then maybe we give something so we we have been you know kind of programmed in a very different way to relate but i remember teaching uh learning from my teacher uh a north shaman in england and he was telling me a long time ago and he was like your sacrifice is not big enough because what you're asking is really big so you need to give something that's way bigger than that And I think when we are in a society where we are very independent and you know we have our stuff, it's we haven't learned to really sacrifice, right? It's scary, basically. It's very scary. It's like scarcity, right? It's like, oh, I'm not going to have enough, or what might happen if I let that go. So I feel, you know, and I want to. We're arriving at the end, but kind of weaving that also in the idea that, yeah, it might be terrifying to go into such partnership. It. it to dare to love i think it's terrifying i mean i think it's amazing and exciting and i think there's nothing more beautiful than a very connected you know relationship on all levels but for me i've never experienced that with at the same time navigating a part in me that is terrified and i want to acknowledge it in my relationship i acknowledge it with my partner i acknowledge it you know here on live because i think if i don't acknowledge it then i'm going to avoid feeling it and i want to say yes it's it's terrifying because you know we have been heartbreak in the past and we don't want to be more heartbreak when we open more right we potentially might experience more pain that's terrifying we don't control the outcome that's terrifying <laughs> we have to let go of stuff that's terrifying right so i think it's and i would love you to maybe tell us a little bit about that to finish you know but how do we dare to love when maybe we have been so hurt and we're really terrified and it feels like it's very difficult to trust again you know and it's like how do i still dare to love was that powerful self preservation self survival mechanism that are automatic in me right we are designed for survival and we are designed for love right so i do i do we navigate and step into that right fully like really into it so okay before i answer your question i actually wanted to ask you a question because you're in this beautiful relationship what is the one thing that you've been able to sacrifice with her that you could see you were preventing yourself from doing in the past So again, 
we'll cut that. Maybe the repeats there. But. Well, something is really working in your relationship and it's due to a mutual sacrifice that's happening, obviously, and a particular alchemy. But what is the part of you you've been able to offer to this love that in the past you were afraid to offer? I think for me at this point, you know, very much is about, and it's very much connecting to what you were sharing earlier. It's accepting that I don't know. Accessing that, in fact, I've had a lot of control in my life over my career and many things I created, right? But the last five years, especially with my physical illness and other things that happened to me, I realized the only way I can regain control of my life is to let go of this illusion of control. It's a complete illusion, right? It's a complete illusion. And this constant, tremendous amount of energy that is required in our life to control everything, it's, it's, it's immense, right? And then things don't go according to plan. Things happen. It's like, you know what? Letting go of that idea that it needs to look that way. That if I control it and it looked that way, then it's going to lead me there. Which is, you know, BS. Because if not, I would have been there in the past. So obviously, I don't know the way. I don't know the way. Maybe you don't know the way. Maybe together we can figure it out. And so the idea was like, okay, yeah, there might be conflict, there might be arguments, there might be disagreements, there might be a lot of that, but underlying of that is love. Like there's a commitment. So we don't quit. We don't mm. quit, you know? And it's like we return to it. Even when we're frightened, even when we have no answer, even when we don't know where to go, but we sit in the not knowing together, right? So I guess... In many ways, it's allowing a deeper level of surrender, which I feel for me was a deep access to my feminine because I was very mm -hmm. into my masculine. So for me, it was also sometimes accessing this part of me. It's like, okay, maybe I even need to be held, right? <laughs> maybe yeah, sometimes you know, a lot of things reverse that, hold, right? A lot of things that you wrote about in your journey, I could really relate to myself, even though our, our stories of the last year have been so different, but it was the same, right? Like you were forced into something where there was just like, you, yeah, you met the darkest parts of your psyche and uh, so did I. But for me, looking at just your story, it's, it's no uh coincidence that this happened while being in in this beautiful relationship with your partner it had to be that way because for you probably also it would have been easier to even though it was so hard but to navigate it by yourself or to invite certain people in to help you you know guide through would have been easier than the person you love the most who you know to share all of that chaos with yeah it's freaking powerful. And I because think that I life... think, you know, yeah, and you're right, because I think when we're in pain, when mm -hmm. we haven't figured things out, when we are not fully in control, I feel, and maybe it's a man thing, right? That I don't have much to offer. I feel mm -hmm. the year, the year I was sick this past year and a half, you know, and I'm still recovering, but I felt I was more burden of anything, right? I was really not able to provide so much help, you know, with to someone, to a child, to many things that I could do because, yeah, there has been weeks where I've spent a week in bed or a week in my sofa. And when I say weeks, months. 
And I felt like, yeah, am I a burden? And allowing ourselves, especially as men, where we are supposed to take the lead and control, like, well, I can't. I can't provide that right now. And what, what am I if I can't do that? You know, for me, it really brought me very deep about the relationship masculine and feminine and the roles we have to play potentially. And like, yeah, I'm even... You know, what is my value in this? What can I really provide? How do I support someone that's also a mother, right? So how do I support that when I can't move, when I can get out of bed, when I'm just, you know, in a ball on the ground, in a child pose or in a baby position for weeks and allowing myself to be seen that way, to be witnessed that way. And for someone that is very incapable of asking for help for so many years, that was also a big shift. Like, well, I need help because you know what? I can't put my socks. I can't remove my pants. I definitely cannot, you know, carry the garbage out or there's many things you can't do, right? When you're physically incapacitated, it's very humbling, right? But it's, I guess it's difficult, but yes, in the way you said it, if we can go through that in as lovers and being seen that way and say, you know what, I still love you that way. Then I was able to heal that part of me that made me feel like, yeah, the part of me that feels useless, it's probably there all the time. The part of me that feels it brings nothing, it's probably there all the time. And still that part can be loved. I don't have to be that teacher. I don't have to do 20 podcasts. I don't have to do that class. I can still be loved when I'm just, crying on the floor and that was big right because mm-hmm. i'm not 90 years old right i was you know when you age and you're probably okay that might happen one day but you know i'm turning 50 in a few months so it's a bit different wow congratulations yeah <laughs> so yeah, yeah I, th- that I, th- part, I think right? in your case you know like you had to be stripped completely of whatever you thought masculinity was, lose it completely so that when you reconstruct it and bring it into your relationship, it is going to be healthy. Hmm. And I think that that is probably what is part of this journey, you know, like that is the reconstruction of that foundation. And yeah, I think the foundation of how we construct it together, especially in the beginning of a relationship is so important to set that base and like you say, like there's seasons, there's phases of mm-hmm. relationships where one will need a lot more power than the other. One will need, and that doesn't mean that that is the forever balance, but it's, yeah, it's the patience, the patience we have with a baby, the patience we have with a puppy. And and, and that, that I do find the beauty of, of actually having a child, it, it reconstructs the concept of time or that's what it's done to me time sometimes goes so fast and sometimes so slow and it's like whatever similar to you know like you create 20 podcasts or one it's actually the same i teach one course every two years maybe whatever it's like you time doesn't actually matter it doesn't really exist in this way and that surrender like we often do need these initiations Anyway, I feel I'm drifting off to answer the question you asked, you asked me before. (laughs) (laughs) I, I have no simpler answer for except the invitation to join me in there to love because uh, 
like the way I've constructed it is three weeks of darkness where, you know, we really dig up the roots. We really go into the ancestry, which just talking about ancestry, I feel like can be a podcast on its own. And maybe I will record something like that just to kind of allow the understanding of like how deeply we are connected to our ancestors. And even if there's things that we don't know about, I don't know, the grandfather of the father of your grandparent, like it's, you know, the lineage goes on. And especially in this time, it's like not, not everything was registered. Certain secrets were shoved under the carpet. The traumas that certain family members experienced in wars or whatever it is that is part of your heritage, we don't know, but it is what I call an echo. And these echoes are either unresolved trauma that therefore allows you to, you know, recreate it just so that you can solve it, not just for yourself, but for whatever is part of your constitution. And then, of course, there's the beliefs, which are very often outdated, like even just looking at the role of a, a man and a woman, right? Like, Certain aspects are very outdated of like what is proper. And even when we create our new beliefs, our new values, our new ways of maneuvering through life, what I've seen in, I don't know how many people I've worked with is that these echoes create a contradiction of like, okay, you may believe that it is okay to not marry the first person you fell in love with and create a family and keep that commitment regardless of whether you're happy or not. <laughs> you may disagree with that and have your, your own beliefs of, of what relationship means or what that should look like. If that contradiction is there, it is going to cause for disruption, whether it is in past experiences or in this experience or the experience that is coming your way. So that is at the base, right? To like release that, release shadows, release uh, connections to past lovers. And this can be lovers of an insignificant kind, more, more superficial, but the fact that there has been a sexual connection has a huge impact on, on where you're at in, in your entire life and being. And that's something that I think is, is very much in the unconscious of uh, the collective, I would say. Just the understanding like, yeah, yeah, sexual exploration I think is amazing um, and it has an impact. And we need to resolve that. And then on top, of, on top of that, of course, there are the more profound relational experiences in love that we have with people that we actually love um, or who have loved us and the heartbreaks and the difficulty of those experiences that also need to be released and resolved. So all of that is part of what I call the weeks of darkness, where it's just like, okay, let's get dirty. Let's dig in the mud. Let's pull out the roots of the weeds so that the new seeds that we plant in the weeks of light truly come from clear space. And in any shamanic tradition, that's what you're going to see. Like take ayahuasca, which I think probably everyone is familiar with. You purge. And the purge is a symbol. It's, it's a physical symbolism of something that you are releasing so that the space is created so that those new insights can actually have the space that they need to flourish. And so in the weeks of light, it's more tantra based. It's more, you know, how can you use your sexual energy to um, allow the new vision and the new trust to be planted and flourish? 
but also how can you use that to magnetize what it is that you desire? How can you step into that resonance, but in a grounded way, right? So that's why I always say like, you know, the whole concept of like, oh, manifest your true reality simply by envisioning. I think that's just money-making business because it has to be embodied. And so the way I've constructed it is really like, okay, how can we allow the shamanic understanding of how life works in a very grounded uh, practical way combined with more the spiritual, you know, sexual aspect of the power that you carry as a human being combined to lead up to the final place, which I talked about earlier, which is really that resonance of receptivity. So it's not the penetrative force of like directing that arrow. It has to be like this and has to happen now. And with this kind of person, but really in that receptive space of like, I feel secure I'm aware of certain aspects of protection, but I'm working on it. And I now have more faith in all of existence. I have more faith in the mystery of love. I have more faith in that love is meant for me even. Um, and that whatever is gonna happen that is gonna shake up your world, whether it's something similar as what Angel went through or what I went through, you know, it, it doesn't have to be that extreme, but there is going to be a moment where a sacrifice is going to be asked of you. And so I suppose that last point in the Daredevil Love journey is really to feel that security huh? of the insecurity of life. <laughs> like that mystery of simply having faith. Mm. Yeah. So, okay. Just Love to it. kind of clarify I, this course is now only being offered for women specifically because I do find it very interesting. The shared shadows, I guess, that we have as strong independent women. And this, the course itself is not, oh, here's the knowledge and here's the integrative practices. It's actually a bundle of uh, stories, not just my stories, but stories of other clients I've worked with. And of course, integrative practices. But the journey itself is really constructed in a way that I encourage people to share their stories. So it becomes a co-creation. So it's like your story is part of the wisdom that we co-create. And I do very much have found in all the ways I've taught in the past that when we come together and everyone gets the same position of like, okay, we're sitting in circle and here's my contribution of what I've experienced, what I've learned and what I'm willing to admit and be witnessed in it. It's like, there's something in being witnessed that just like, boom, amplifies the power of the journey itself. Mm. And the details of what, if, how, where, and when you can go to I dare to love.com. Yeah. And I put a link here in the chat. If people wants to look at it and find the link, if you are SVP, you're going to get the link to Nalaya and we're going to put it under the recordings, this video. And if you're listening on the podcast, you know, we'll also put that online. Thank you, sister. So good to Gracias meet you again. I'm really excited to see you. I can't believe I'm seeing you in a few weeks and uh, oh celebrate uh, your life and celebrate the little baby. And uh, thank you to everyone that joined live today and everybody that's listening on the recordings. Uh, feel free to reach out to Nalaya, uh, to myself. We're going to put the link to our websites and all of that under those recordings in a few days. And yes, 
looking forward uh, to keep daring to love. Mm. To dare again and again and again, especially when we want to run away, especially when we don't want to. That's my commitment, that I'll dare to do it, especially when I don't want to do it anymore. Because uh-huh. I think that's when I heal stuff. I know that's when I get humbled and that's when I see something I can't see if I just run away. Yeah, I just want to say thank you. Gracias, hermano, for the space that you offer. And I have witnessed you in your transformation. And I really feel, yeah, it's an honor, you know, to chat with you. And I hope we get to co-create in other ways. Um, Yeah, yeah. And I I really cannot wait to be back in Peru after two and a half years, but also to reconnect with you. And I feel really blessed that we're somehow going to be in the same space in the same time. Yes. yeah, and see you and meet you. So thank you, everyone, Blessings for listening. Thank you, everyone. And yes. Feel free to, yeah, like he said, ask questions. Gracias, gracias. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Hey, thanks for tuning in. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode. Now, before you go, I have a quick announcement to make. This year, I'll be teaching Dare to Love again. So if you are fed up dating the wrong guys and you want to attract your soulmate, go to nalayachakana.com and check out the Dare to Love course. This will be the only opportunity to work with me before our next pregnancy. So knock on my door if you have any questions. I'd love to hear from you.